We remember entire civilizations with just two words. You think they'll remember you? This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Danny Foley. Coach Foley is the head strength coach at Virginia High Performance and the co-founder of Rude Rock Strength. For longtime listeners of the podcast, this is Danny Foley's second time on the podcast. And if you guys want a phenomenal story of his come up and kind of how we got connected, I would really suggest going to go listen to his first podcast. His, his rags to riches stories and quotations is really, really phenomenal and something that I've connected to this entire time. Today, we kind of tried to dive into more of his training philosophies, how he goes about working with the tactical population that he has, how he balances the concrete and the fundamentals of science of our field, as well as the non-concrete and kind of reaching out there with some of the new things that he's doing and his overall philosophies on restorative strength. Coach Foley is a really big inspiration to me. And, and it seems like every time we talk, we could go for hours. His philosophies of both training and life are really game changing. And it's something that I hope you guys get a lot out of. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Thank you guys for listening. Marcus, you know what to do. Hit the intro music. Let's go. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome back to the podcast. We, we got another reoccurring guest on. I'm excited to have you back. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, Austin. It's uh, truly a pleasure. And uh, I'm pumped to talk to you, man. It's been a, been a while since we've been able to get up. Yeah, we've, we've had a big break. Um, and the last time that we talked, it was really, really, um, my favorite thing was we got to go through your whole story. And I felt like I almost geeked out too much about your story and it didn't even get into your methods. So I think today, maybe we get a little bit more into the weeds of your methods and kind of cover some of that stuff. But I want to talk about what the past year has been like for you. And what does that, uh, what does that look like? I know it's been the, the craziness of what's been happening with the nation, but what does that year look like for you? Yeah, man. Uh, so I guess probably like most could say there's, there's been a lot of up and down to it. Um, you know, speaking directly to COVID and with work, it's actually been uh, pretty good, man. We we really didn't get disrupted too much. We we shut down a little bit early on and then kind of picked right back up. So from that aspect, uh, you know, it's at, we've been very fortunate and we're we're in a really good position. And we we definitely appreciate you know what uh what our owner Alex has has done for us to keep our doors open because I know a lot of people have been hit by this. But um, that part of it aside, uh, the the downtime that we did get, so to speak, you know 
proved to be quite valuable. Um, you know, we were able to take some time to, you know, work on our site, uh, with rude rock and, uh, just kind of develop, you know, different models, webinars, programs, got into, you know, some different type of article writing. So, uh, I think, you know, we really just tried to make the most of it. And, uh, you know, like I said, all, all things considered, we're very fortunate. That's I freaking love that. Cause last time we talked rude rock, you, you were pretty set on like the, the idea and everything was in place, but it hadn't yet launched. And this past year, it seems like that has kind of taken off for you. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's quite a compliment coming from you, man. Cause the, uh, the podcast guests and numbers have been pretty crazy for you these, uh, last couple of months, but, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't really track too much on the, the number side or the, the traffic side really, uh, I still just see it as, you know, something in its infancy and, uh, I'm just kind of nose down, you know, chipping away to see it, you know, kind of what, what strikes people. But, um, I will say this though, you know, uh, we have kind of started to take a look at the business of rude rock is more than just a, Hey, we do training and conditioning and performance work for people. You know, we're looking now into like a broader picture where we really want to get involved with, you know, raising money for dogs and pets and, um, you know, standing up some sort of a foundation to where we can kind of help with, you know, families who are, who are in need of having, uh, you know, expensive surgeries or insurance policies or whatever they may be and seeing if we can, you know, kind of make a dent in that and, um, you know, providing food and shelter for, for, uh, pets up for adoption. And, you know, I think just stuff like that is kind of where I'm at now, like just getting beyond just, you know, strength training 101 all the time. That's fucking awesome. That that's super yeah. cool. Cause that, that was kind of my next question. I was going to ask what, what's your, your kind of long-term vision with that is, is it to branch out? Like, and how do you, are you going to use the money from training and, and to kind of apply it in that route? Or are you thinking even bigger shift or what's, what's kind of your long-term vision with it right now? I guess, obviously it'll yeah. change in the future, but yeah. Um, I, it, the mission is simple, man. I want to help and impact as many people as we possibly can in, in whatever manner that we can. Um, you know, the, the side hustle aspect, I don't want to sit up here and sound like I'm, you know, some noble, you know, saint going out on some crusade here, but, uh, no, I mean like, you know, the, the side hustle aspect of it has been awesome because it's created a little bit more flexibility. We're starting to make income, you know, from some multiple different streams. So it's provided me a little bit more flexibility to do things that actually matter. Right. And, uh, you know, I think long-term, you know, we want to have a very strong internet presence, obviously for, for performance and restorative based training. Um, we want to provide as much informative and insightful based content as we can. Uh, and we want to help people who need it. So, you know, whatever the means are for that, I think that's really what our, our end goal would be, so to speak. And you, you mentioned restorative based training, and that's something that you, you have kind of brought up much more in the past couple of months than you did the last time that we brought up last time we talked about, I know we talked about slings and we talked about kind of the hip and foot and some of those things, but the restorative strength model, what does that kind of mean to you? Or do you want to touch on that a little bit? Absolutely, man. You know, so for, for a couple of years there, really, when I first started at VHP, I actually had a little bit of a difficulty kind of describing to people what I did because all of my credentialing, all of my education and all of my foresight has been through strength and conditioning SNC coach, right? In reality, I probably do more conventional based physical therapy or rehab based work than I do strength training practices just because of the nature of our athletes. And so, you know, it kind of created this little accumulation of like trying to see this more as a spectrum and less as a this or that. So what I kind of latched onto was every athlete is injured. It's just a matter of to what extent they're injured, 
right? So we constantly need to be working back and forth between the two modalities. And then now what we're doing is we're just saying, hey, these aren't separate things. This is just the athlete or the individual in front of us. And we're just examining what they need. I think what happens, man, is like people just pick and choose. Like I'm a strength guy, girl, or I'm a mobility guy, girl, or whatever the case may be. And it's like, you're just hedging your bet right out of the gate because you're assuming that what you know or what you think is best is what somebody needs. And that's not the case, you know? And I know that that's kind of easy for people to associate when it comes to like powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting or whatever, but people don't look at it with like mobility or conditioning in the same lens. Not everybody needs mobility. You know what I mean? So just because it's perceived as, you know, harmless or low skill, we just start blindly, you know, applying it to everybody. And for some people, you know, spending designated time on mobility is literally going to make them worse at what they do. So it, our goal with the restorative training model is very simple, man. There's absolutely nothing groundbreaking about it. But what we're doing is we're prioritizing pillars of health, mobility, tissue quality, aerobic capacity, and function. And then from there, looking at what we all do and all know well with the tissue strength and then the neuromuscular properties or the speed properties, and then, you know, refining skill and precision. So for a lot of the people that I'm seeing at VHP, we really spend a lot of time on those first couple pillars of general health and wellness, sleep hygiene, nutrition management, you know, fascial quality, tissue health, and just kind of trying to reset their relationship with training. When athletes are injured, they develop this subconscious behavior or belief where training is almost intimidating. They have this presumed association or presumption that, oh, if I do X, Y, or Z, it's going to hurt. It's going to cause pain. Well, yeah, maybe if you lunge with 50 pound dumbbells for 20 meters knee to the ground, but maybe not if we do a partial lunge with a light kettlebell hold on one side. So again, the whole concept being, we're just examining what the athlete is capable of and what they're you know, able to do in the moment so that we can capitalize on that to start momentum for repairing their confidence and their relationship to training. I absolutely love that coach. That's clean. You, you got your setup for that clean. That is, that's broken <laughs> down. Uh, I want to dive in because you, you talked about how it, it shouldn't be groundbreaking. Like you, you're just looking at the athlete, what they need, and then actually applying it rather than being kind of the guru. And that's, that's something that I wanted to talk to you about because it's something I've been thinking about a lot myself is uh, when you put out contents, it seems like we're starting at the small things. We're starting at some of the exercise base, some of the things that they can do. And when I feel like I put out content, I feel like it's very, very vague and it's very big picture. But when you actually, when you and I talk and you, you hear the program, it's off, like we're using both of these things. We're intertwining both of these things. We're looking at the athlete itself and we're actually using these things. How are you going about, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot in my own head. So hopefully I formulate it the question to you, well, is how do you formulate that kind of balance between the small things and the big things, the balance between the, the, the big chunks of the pie and maybe it's the missing link. Like how, how are you doing that with your athletes? For sure. So uh, kind of tying this back into that, you know, RST talk a second ago, what I'm looking at trying to do on a broad scale is improve the athlete or the individual's deficits while maintaining their strengths. So what I look at is 
the difference between where they're strong and where they're weak is kind of this zone of vulnerability or like an injury risk window. So I think what happens a lot of the times is when we just plug and play, we assume that they need this. We assume that they need that. We ultimately end up gravitating towards their strengths. And when we reinforce strengths, we create a bigger margin between strengths and weaknesses, thus a greater vulnerability window. So to kind of get to your your question directly there, when I see the global pattern, I see what matters to them. I see their organic, natural ability to move. What I feel like my job or our job is, is to try to examine where there's gaps or disconnect in what they perceive to be natural or organic movement. So in other words, it's not a matter of when you squat, hinge, lunge, run, whatever. It has to look like this or that. That's reductionist. I think what we need to do is look at how they present to us and just see how we can create a little bit more efficiency, economy, or perhaps in some cases, capacity or production. So for the small lens or for the you know kind of honed in uh, point of view, that's when I'm looking at like joint by joint analysis or thoracic rotation, hip internal rotation, um, you know, manual muscle testing. Someone who has uh, a common one for us is, you know, a weak QL on one side and then an opposite glute hamstring pattern that's either, you know, suboptimal or, or, or weak. And then I, my responsibility or my job is to address those specific areas. But I know, again, what matters to them is how the global production looks, feels, and is. So, what I focus on versus what they care about is where I'm kind of going back and forth between. And would you say your approach then is, let's break it down to somebody sprinting. You're, you're watching them sprint and you may see, let's say, and you, you can see it like with athletes. It's like, oh, that, that seems off. Something seems weird there. Maybe they're telling you something. So you see the global pattern and then you are applying specific tests that you think could be the missing link in that global pattern. Or is it the other way you are seeing the test this is an issue, then you're seeing it manifest itself in a global pattern. It, it, what's kind of your, your route to attack that issue? And then just so you know, like, because when you're watching a global movement, you may see, you may pick up on something, oh, that doesn't look right, but it's not necessarily, you can see something's wrong, but it's not like you have an answer right away. How do you go about getting that answer to fix that global pattern? For sure. So, uh, well, I mean, with sprinting, <laughs> obviously this is a really com- complex movement with a lot of different moving parts and variables to it. But to stick with that, um, if I'm having anybody sprint, I'm always filming it. That's that's kind of become like a golden rule, not only for me, but all the coaches at VHP, um, because I've definitely gotten to the point now where I, I, I just believe you have to have thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of observation before you can just visually see what's going on with sprinting. But uh, to the point here, uh, what I'm looking at is, you know, first and foremost, how can they produce? So if, if I'm having an athlete sprint for my athletes, a very common one is going to be somewhere around 60 to hundred meters, right? So how do you sprint objectively from those distances? If those times are relatively good, then I'm just going to kind of look to tune because again, it, you know, especially for at least in my world, rather, um, I don't need to have like, you know, a four, four, forty or a 11 foot broad jump. I need to have more of just performance-based ability and less test-based ability. So for my athletes, you know, are you comfortable? Are you strong? Do you feel efficient? 
you know, in a 60 or a 200 meter run. If that answer is yes, we're fine tuning. If that answer is no, we're building. So the fine tuning model is almost reverse engineered. I'm going to watch them in slow motion and then we're going to kind of go back and forth. I'm going to observe and then we're going to have a conversation about it. If it's somebody who doesn't feel comfortable or confident, you know, running at those, at those speeds or distances, then we just go back to fundamentals. So we're just going to work pure acceleration for a couple of weeks. Then we're going to, you know, work some top end speed mechanics for a couple of weeks. And for a lot of them, this is all brand new information. They, they're never really taught how to sprint. So for me, it's, it is truly just 101, very basic rudimentary work. And with that, I'm always interested in how, like some of the anecdotal evidence that you've gotten from it. What, what, what has that been with this approach? How has that kind of manifested itself? You're, you're working on the basics. Cause I, I think somebody could be listening is like, all right, basics. Like they kind of want to, they want to go like next level, but like, what are the results from some of the basics? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, dude, you, you alluded to it, but I think again, when we just sit there and, you know, regurgitate basics, 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 foundation, fundamentals, but uh, it just, again, it's another reductionist, perspective for me, but for this population who, you know, with, you know, military tactical athletes or whatever, they're literally never taught how to sprint. And when they do sprint 99 times out of a hundred, they are sprinting with something in one arm or in both. Right. So they'll be sprinting with, you know, a, a weapon strapped across the chest and, you know, carrying some kind of IED or something along those lines. Right. So it's never going to be pure sprinting. We refer to it as adaptive sprinting, but for these athletes, what I'm trying to do most often is get them to loosen up and relax. They all, you know, run like Iron Man. It's so rigid and heavy and ugly. And I, I tell them all the time, man, they're the best, worst athletes in the world. Um, so for most of them, it's just kind of teaching more of that reflexive, relax, you know, kind of just think smooth, don't think fast. Um, and, and, you know, again, kind of back to the fundamentals point, like, getting them to understand why foot strike under the center of mass matters, getting them to understand what true hip extension feels like, uh, getting a different differentiation between trunk angle and, and in an acceleration phase versus in a, in a top end phase. Um, so, you know, again, they, for them, it's, this is all brand new. Yeah. And this is something that you brought up. It's not like a, like you're not in a testing sport field. I don't think any of our sports should be in a testing sport field, but like at least in the NFL, you have like the combine where they're running these things and the numbers, not that those numbers even matter in that sport, but truly in your sport, in, in your sport quotations and what the athletes that you're training are working for, there is no really measure like that, that matters. What are you going off of seeing if your program is working, if you need to adjust something, if there needs to be any tweaks or changes, is it just that athlete is giving you feedback? Like, Hey man, I feel freaking phenomenal. This is awesome. Or is there, is there something that you can give them data wise? Like, is there anything that you're doing in that round to tweak and adjust your program to know it's working or if it's not? I know this sounds like such a cop-out answer, but um, really all that matters to them is can they do what they are supposed to do better? And someone like myself is never, ever, ever going to be able to, uh, improve, let you know, maybe even influence their skill sets, what they're required to do. We take the physical traits out, uh, you know, away from what they do and then try to emphasize those. And sure, we'll make small, you know, marginal improvements in something like marksmanship or, you know, CQB tactical operations times and, and things like that. So normally for us, Quite frankly, if we can get them out of pain 
and teach them how to manage and, and oversee their own training, then we have fundamentally given them a better platform to get better at what they do. So this goes back to, you know, looking at elevating the floor versus raising the ceiling for my athletes. And I would argue this is probably the case for a lot of like professional athletes, high level college athletes. Um, you know, there's not really much more we can go up with positive return. In my opinion, I, I, I just don't know if there's that much value in taking somebody who already runs whatever, you know, four, 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 five, and then shaving off a half of a 10th of a second and, you know, adding one or two reps on a squat or a bench. I just don't see a lot of value in that. So for me, I start to look at it through this increase their ability to tolerate variability. And this is actually where a lot of your work has influenced me directly with all, all of your rolling and your crawling and your combination patterns. I just am starting to see a lot more value in that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the vestibular aspects and the proprioceptive aspects and just general kinesthesia, you know, think about what goes on, you know, in something like a combat zone, right. Which, you know, I, I I've never been there, but I've got a decent idea and it's eclectic. You're literally trying to prepare for whatever it's kind of wild. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, vestibular health is a major key. Proprioceptive awareness is a major key. Kinesthesia, major key for them. They have to be able to accommodate for variability in terrain, altitude, environmental conditions, uh, task objectives or endeavors, uh, you know, mission critical specifics. They change. It's, it's a wide array of things. So I don't think they need to necessarily do better at this or that. I think I need to give them more that they can be better at. That makes sense. Oh yeah, coach. That is phenomenal. I love that. That little rant that you just went on that that's the money maker <laughs> of the podcast. Cause we talk about like as football coaches, it's almost like a complaining, like not complaining. I shouldn't say that, but it's like, we have, we have to train them for so much. Like there's so many aspects to it. It's like, yeah, but our sport is always the same, man. Like your guys, situation that you got, like the environment completely changes in every moment at every second. Like you want to talk about adaptable athletes. Like that is the most extreme variation of adaptable athletes right there. It's pretty bizarre, man. And if I can give you a quick sidebar, um, you know, couple of the, I've had a couple of athletes where, you know, not only are we fighting the battles of unintended there, I guess, um, of like, you know, they may have to do this, they may have to do that, they may have to do that. But we also have the concurrent issue of less than four hours of sleep per night, you know, training three or four times a day. A lot of, you know, they'll come to me for, morning work and then they'll go, you know, roll and do combative work and, you know, BJJ Muay Thai, and then they'll come back to me for afternoon work. And then they've got, you know, something on course or so it's like, you know, we're constantly trying to bring stress and sympathetic drive down, but anything that we do is always going to be counteracted with something that they're required to do. So it, you know, a lot of the times it gets a little bit difficult and we have to uh, be crafty with, with what we're doing. So you mentioned, you brought up giving them tools to kind of manage their own body. Like you're giving them tool and tools and knowledge to handle their own body and like deal with some of the pain. And this is an extremely, like you mentioned, they like, they have an extreme schedule, extreme amount of things to train for in situations. What are some of those things that you think that the tools that you're giving them that you could give to, let's say a football athlete, a team sport athlete, listening to this podcast where their environment's much more, kind of closed. So it, it is controlled. So these things I think are going to help them more, but what are some of the tools that you give those athletes 
to kind of manage and pain that, that, that they can, that really seems to click with them. They're like, okay, I'm going to use this. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to use this rather than being, uh, I don't want to say so reliant on you, but now it's, it's like their body, their situation. Right. It's a tool that you gave them. Yeah. So that's actually the, that's kind of the underpinning to it all is that I don't want them to be reliant on me. So, uh, let me put it to you this way. I mentioned that injured athletes develop a poor relationship with training. I think it's, very similar to how obese people have a poor relationship with food. So we bludgeon these people with information and motivation and, you know, quick fixes and blah, blah, blah. And we, we, we do these things redundantly with no success. That's because it's not an information barrier and it's usually not a resource barrier. And for my athletes, especially, it's certainly not a motivation barrier. So then what is it? Well, I look to autonomy, confidence, and discretion. So for these athletes, basically from the time that they're 18 to whenever I'm seeing them, and you know we get people from all ages, but um, they, they just know more, more, harder, harder, don't quit, don't suck, harder, more, you're good, go. So when we get them in our space and we're trying to get them to buy in on like soft tissue work on the foot and calf, I have to make it make sense to them why this matters. So I can take this same exact situation with a college offensive lineman. And I haven't worked in that environment, but I could damn, damn near assure you that a 20 year old kid is probably not listening, uh, you know, intently to why he needs to do, you know, soft tissue work on his cat and foot. So what we have to do is create an ethos effect. They have to feel something. I want them to be able to see how improving soft tissue at the foot and calf can directly contribute to a three mile run or to a swim or to whatever, right? And even though there's no measuring in the, involved in that, these are athletes that know their body well enough and certainly well enough and are tested rigorously so they can have a pretty you know even timeline with all things considered. And I think once we can get to that point, then I can show them a multitude of other things in the same type of way. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. But the confidence factor is 100% the most important part. You have to get them to enjoy the training process however you may need to go about it. And that's the it's something I touch on a lot and I would love to hear your kind of approach to it. But I mean, it's the belief behind it. That's There's so many times where it's like, yeah. it's it's like just being somebody they can believe in. Obviously, like you, you, we have, like you said, you have information, you have resources, unless you're a bad like strength coach, you're like, you're, you're doing, you're running them through Russian training volume. Like, yes, like obviously there's there at that aspect of sports performance that we want to stay away from. You have to know your stuff, but then it's like, you know, your stuff. There's plenty of coaches that know their stuff. Now, how can you be somebody that can get them to believe in that stuff? So they implement it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get, I again, go back to the first pillar of restorative strength training model, right? It's general health and wellness. And I can't even express how many times I've sat an athlete down on day one and kind of led with that point and how they're like taken back by it. They're like, Whoa, you know, I thought we were going to be squatting and bench pressing and, you know, and we're, we're talking about HRV and, and sleep hygiene. Right. 
I think that indirectly kind of shows or demonstrates rather that we're really concerned or, or, you know, we truly care about you as a human before we care about you as an athlete, because if the human side isn't addressed or isn't, you know, at least acknowledged, then the performance side is always going to be at some kind of deficit. Yes. And you, you brought up earlier, it's like, in your, your situation, it's you, you have that three mile run and they, they, they're running on that three mile run. And it feels great. It's like, oh, man. All right. I thought he was full of shit. But then yeah. I ran this three miles and it, it feels great. Same as the, like our American football situation. That, man, you should see some of these offensive linemen just bitch about having to do some of the rolls. We don't have like when we're at St. Thomas, we don't have any pads. So they're rolling on the ground, whatever. But like yeah. they're doing crawls and rolls on the ground. Just hate it. And then they get to the field and all it takes is one situation where that they, they roll out of a situation or that they were falling and that they, they fell in a better spot and that every single time they'll come back and be like, Oh my God, I, I love the roles now. Like I use them in practice and I do it. And it's just, like you said, I, I view it as I've talked about this a little bit, but view it as like giving them a piece of candy to sure. really get them to bite into kind of what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I think like doubling back a little bit here, but you mentioned what are those pieces that you give them, that make, you know, make them feel like it has a direct impact on their performance. Well, the big thing in my world is it's, it's a battle of attrition and every single one of them wants to extend their career as long as they can. They normally just have to cut it short when they're injured, you know, but with that, if I can teach them how to manipulate training variables and, and modalities, whether they are at home, have full gym, overseas somewhere only have a b and c a b and c excuse me or you know coming off of a surgery how do you bridge back to full function training and if we can teach autonomy you know that's half the battle and when they're so this is i'm interested do you work with them at all remotely or is it in a sense to where they can contact you because i feel like it'd be tough I feel like you don't, maybe I might be wrong, but you probably don't have these guys forever. How do you work with them when they leave and they do have a problem like that arise because they are in such a volatile situation that things are going to happen and maybe they don't have the answer. What's kind of your approach when they're not with you and maybe they don't have the tool or uh, is it just like give them as many tools as possible and one of those is going to work? Yeah, no, I know where you're going, man. Uh, It's definitely not give them as many tools as possible. In fact, it's probably if I can give them legitimately one or two, then that's a massive win. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably got about say about 25 or 30 guys that in some form or fashion, I'm still programming for. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like they're the, they have the one thing they absolutely have nothing for is consistency. Everything is always changing. So for a lot of them, it's like, you know, I'll work for eight, 12, 16 weeks, won't hear from them for a couple months, and then they'll hit me back up. So it's kind of a rolling thing. But no, nah, man, I mean, I, I, I tell them all the same thing. Like, I, I'll, I'll remote program for you as long as you, as you need or want it. You know, I feel like it's the, it's kind of my way of like saying thank you. And, you know, here's my contribution. Here's what I can do because of everything you guys do. You know? No, 100%. That has to be an awesome situation. I want to draw this pretty far back just because it's something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast you mentioned strength this is something that i've been uh kind of touching on in the last couple podcasts and i'd really love to hear it in this situation 
what is strength in your situation? You're watching them through all these things. Uh, the, the power lifter is going to tell you strength is lifting as much weight as possible. Obviously, I know you, you've already mentioned it's like a 50 pound lunge or just regular lunge, but what does strength mean? Like, how are you watching them to see if they're strong in certain positions? What are these positions that you're looking at? It, what is like holistic strength to you? And how is that different than the traditional power lifting sense of strength? Hmm. Okay. Let me give you uh, two different answers on this. So the first answer is more of the technical answer where um, basically every single athlete that I work with is going to hex bar, kickstand, deadlift, landmine, split press, and pitch arc. Um, those are kind of my three like foundational strength movements that in some form or fashion, I'm going to work across the board. Um, now how I define it on more of like a, you know, what it means to me or how it applies to my people. I would say that it's, you know, more along the lines of like improving durability and robustness. It's not necessarily exertional because their, their physical exertion is just so abstract and and non-conventional, you know, again, unless we're talking about the physical traits that are required for those, I'm just not going to do anything that is really going to impact or influence that because they're already doing it at such a high level. So for me, again, I kind of look at it more from the attrition side where I'm like, okay, they're already doing this, 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 and this, how can I kind of sneak in through the backside and like give them you know, insurance or security to be able to withstand so many iterations and so many different, you know, wide reaching endeavors. And um, again, just kind of building up their ability to be durable and to have longevity. And that just triggered something in my head. You, you mentioned, and we've mentioned it, but like how adaptable these athletes are, everything that they have to do. What, how has that opened your eyes working with this population from the traditional like CSCS, like strength conditioning manuals where it's like you can, the body can only withstand this amount of like volume, let's say, or we need to do like three sets of 10. How has it opened your eyes working with these athletes to see how really truly adaptable the human body is? And then how do you, work with that's where we're not getting so far into the weeds of the human body can handle anything. So we're just going to throw everything at it and the science side of it to where the, the studies are saying this is the optimal volume. Like how, how do you go about that? And how has that opened your eyes? Dude, I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant or like an asshole when I say this, but like less than 25% of that shit has applied. <laughs> I mean, it just, um, you know, it, I, one thing I, I mentioned often is that I had absolutely no intention of getting into this world. When, when I first got to BHP, it was uh, aspiring college athletes, club sports. You know, we would get the occasional college pro guy coming, girl coming through. Um, but overnight, you know, it's like athletes out, military in, boom, here we go. Not having any foresight on getting into this was the best thing that could have happened for me because it never allowed me the chance to um, go read a bunch of textbooks or go watch a bunch of History Channel shows or Netflix documentaries um, and try to assimilate this culture. It allowed me to have a purely organic development, both from the technical SNC side, but also, and I would say more importantly, on the culture and the environmental side. Um, I was very quiet and very in, in, intrinsic in the first, you know, six to 12-ish months. And I just tried to be as perceptive as I could be. Let me just see how these guys and girls are. Let me see, you know, kind of how the flow of things is and, and just pick up on little cues and then go home and do my homework. But with, with, with all of that being said, um, the foundational material is non-negotiable for any coach, no matter who your population is, what the specification is, 
you have to understand the foundational science. It is 100% going to be at least the base for what you can do. And I think if I'll give myself credit anywhere, it's that, you know, the better I've been about, you know, learning and, and, you know, materializing on the technical foundational science side, the more versatility and the easier it is for me to kind of navigate situations that get a little murky. So although the end product may be, you know, very abstract or, or kind of non-conventional, so to speak, um, it is a derivative from that foundational concrete pillar that we all need to know. Yes. I've mentioned multiple times, like the, I feel like going through college through the exercise science route and the CSCS route has hurt me more times than it's helped me because I've spent the last like two years forcing myself to break out of my old biases and my old dogma. It's like, I see things. And the biggest thing was like being aware of that. Like I'm seeing this through the light of the CSCS, through the light of the exercise science program. But it's like, man, is that, that's, that's not actually working. That's not the answer. So why are you seeing it this way? Why are you applying it that way? So I love that you said that, like that has helped you the most. Cause I'm 100%, I 100% agree. And I'm on the same exact pages. The more I'm able to step outside of that and give myself an outside perspective, the more I'm like, that answer doesn't make any sense. I'm just saying that and repeating it. Yeah, dude. And that's the thing, man. Like, I guess this is, is kind of a good summary uh, from what we've talked about so far. It's like, you're, you're a strength and conditioning coach. Yes. But I'm also like, I just kind of see myself as someone who is able to help navigate people, improve their abilities for what they do. And sometimes that just goes outside of what's concrete. And we've, you know, we've spent a lot more time on like the stibular work and, and eye tracking and, you know, gate work and like things that are just kind of, you know, subverted or kind of like suppressed away from the conventional strength and conditioning work. And again, I don't care what your testing numbers are. I don't care what your physical numbers are. How do you perform in what you do? Are you the best at what you do? And if not, then we need to figure out how to improve just that. So what is it that Stu McMillan says? It's, uh, you know, 70% of the time I'm doing what I know works 20% of the time. I'm doing what think I think works. And then 10% of the time, I'm just kind of figuring it out, you know, and, and that was a quote that, that definitely changed my, the way I was going about things. But I, I think that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. And I have two follow up questions here. And I think we can end the podcast on these two, but maybe not. But we'll find out. <laughs> but so you talked about the non concrete side and you talked about how you have a little bit different background because you, you didn't really go into it expecting to be in this field, expecting to be working with who you are working with. But what is some advice that you can give? And what are some resources maybe that you can give to get people out of that are so far into the concrete side? Maybe you have that exercise science student that's listening and all he's read is like the CSCS textbooks. What are some non-concrete resources slash advice you can give people to get them out of the, the, the box that is strength conditioning? Yeah, man. I mean, well, it's funny because it like, 22, 23, I was a degenerate, man. Like <laughs> I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything uh, for school, nothing. So like my initial like SNC indoctrination was all self-driven. It was just through YouTube and it was just through these, you know, myriad of resources. And then I kind of doubled back and went back and got all the, you know, technical, you know, academia, science, whatever. So, you know, again, like bringing that to the now, I think I've kind of gotten back to a point where I'm like, okay, the science side, check, got it, whatever. But what's really gravitating my interest is anything that's fascial oriented, 
anything that's vestibular or proprioceptive oriented, and then anything that is skill acquisition oriented. And I think those are the things that are terribly remiss in some of the foundational texts because we talk about all this shit, you know, energy systems and spectrums, graphs, charts, blah, blah, blah. But like, I was like pissed off <laughs> at, at points last year and the year before, like, why, why have I never been formally introduced to the concepts of skill acquisition when that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day? Um, so to give you a couple of resources there, uh, for fascia, uh, definitely anything Thomas Myers anatomy trains, Bill Parisi, fascia training, that book changed my life. That is, uh, an absolutely phenomenal book. And then with, uh, vestibular and, uh, kind of the more cognitive piece, uh, Cal Dietz has a ton of great work on that. And, uh, I also love the book, uh, the brain always wins. Um, that's a, that's a really good introduction, introduction book for that, that kind of material. And then, um, what was my, uh, last one, uh, oh, with skill acquisition, uh, Sean Maiska and, uh, kind of like the whole Bernstein group. Uh, and I, dude, I honestly, I would point to you as well. Um, you do a ton of great work with that stuff, but you know, those are the things that I think that if, uh, young coaches or, or exercise science grads could get a jump on, I would, I would point to those. Yeah. I'm one. I, it's funny. So the, this talk that I'm giving right after this podcast actually is about how we approach our sports performance with our football team. And the one thing I'm like, our number one goal is to get you better at the skills of football, like the score, yeah. defend, tackle, block. Like I have a whole like five slides on it. And super funny is like the opening of eyes because it's, if you look at it, like, and I talk about like, you can get them as strong as they want, but the only difference between why a power lifter isn't good at football versus an offensive lineman is because you have the skill of blocking. Like it, it's the yeah. skill. Like I'm so, and yeah, dude, if, I can, if I can interject on that, man, another one that I point to is, uh, Go look at the the top 10 list of 40 times in combine history uh, for receivers. There's like two that were worth a shit that were worth a shit over the, you know, by the end of their career. So yeah, I think we're just really misguided by some of these things. And it's not to, again, just so I can, you know, give my blanket CYA statement. It's not to say that like the big lifts, the foundational work and these, these objective test batteries don't matter. They do. I get it. It's the biggest interview in the world for the NFL combine, but at the end of the day, can you stay healthy? Are you a happy, healthy, emotionally balanced individual? And can you do what you're supposed to do? Are you good at what you do? That's it, man. That's really all that matters. Boom. And we that's just, gotta, we got to be willing to do more. I think we, we really do. But, well, coach, that that's, uh, I was going to take it into like a fundamental route and ask the second question, but I think that's probably the perfect rant to end this podcast on. Yeah, I'd agree, man. No, I really appreciate your time, Austin. And, uh, I, th I think, man, you've, uh, your growth over the last year has been definitely inspiring for me. Uh, I love seeing where the podcast has grown to, man. And, uh, you're just, you're doing awesome shit, man. And, uh, I love your work. Thank you, brother. I started off with OGs like yourself that just <laughs> hopped on a podcast with a random kid that asked him to come on. This is uh coach. Thank you for being on. Uh, like I said, like the, the amount of technical, like you, you, this is where I want to make sure people know, like, you talk about the, the, the non-concrete, you talked about all of that, but the, um, like you have some eBooks out that are unreal in the foundational and technical components of our field that like, it's not just you throwing like fairy dust in the air saying the non-concrete stuff. Like, you know, your foundational science you have written, like how, how long, what's your longest eBook? What's, what's the longest eBook you have? 
that that shoulder one was pretty long. Yeah, that, <laughs> and it's like every single detail. Like I'm reading this, I'm like, oh <laughs> my god, like this is unreal. And so it's not. That's why I think it's really cool. I really like having you on and just hearing you talk about things because it's it's not just again throwing stuff in the air and hoping it's work. It's like you have one of the biggest bases of understanding of the technical and small parts of the body understood. And now you're able to take that knowledge and branch it out to things that you really think matter. And I think that's really, really awesome. Oh, dude, no, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just chipping away, dude. Uh, we got we got a couple more products coming out this year. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a, a landmine ebook, a little quick hitter um, for a fundraiser uh, for canine cancer research. Um, so you know, if I can kind of uh, give a little uh, self promo there. Uh, I'll be putting that out here soon. And then, uh, myself and Nicole and, uh, Tim Kelly and my, uh, my guy, Jeremy Aspa, uh, we'll be having a, a restorative spinal series coming out this year. Um, so that'll be the, the next saga of the restorative manuals, but it's awesome, dude. You know, we've got, uh, people in like 70 or 80 countries now that are downloading our shit. And I got my dog's faces on t-shirts in Europe and, and, you know, India and all over the place. It's, uh, it's humbling, but I, I really, you know, I'm really happy where everything's at and, uh, we're just going to kind of continue to keep, keep chugging away, man. That's, that's freaking awesome. Uh, the worldwide thing, like you mentioned, it is, it blows my mind every time it's somebody outside of like, it's, like, so, it's, cool. Like, yeah. it's so cool. It blows my, it's I don't so know cool, that you man. got about that too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Germany? like you're on a program from Germany. That's sick. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell the people where they can find some of the stuff at, where they can find your eBooks and where you want to push them towards? No doubt, man. Uh, so rudrockstrength.com um, is, is our home base. We, we did stand up an Instagram page uh, within the last year, and that's that handle is at rudrockstrength. Uh, and the company formerly now is uh, myself, my wife, Nicole, and then Jeremy Aspa um, is kind of our, uh, you know, restorative expert, and uh, he brings a different piece to it. So, um, you know, it's cool because, and I'm sure you can, you know, share a similar uh, sentiment here, but, uh, you know, I just started this shit to just talk to myself and put up some articles and have a platform or whatever. And, you know, to see where we are in just three years is, uh, really cool. But yeah, um, you know, everything is on our site and, uh, you know, we, we really appreciate, uh, everybody who's, who's trusted us with our business. Well, coach, that's awesome. Thank you for being on. Uh, hopefully we can do this again next year, make this a little bit of a yearly talk and every year we're continuing to grow in the same way. Thank you for being on. I love it, man. Appreciate you, Austin. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.